You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique say here with another edition of Saved and Woke Afterthoughts. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. I will definitely get into my afterthoughts on my last conversation um, about, you know, lessons on diversity, equity, and inclusion based off of my discussion with Shannon on uh, the... CEO of Wells Fargo comments on or his explanation of the reason why there aren't so many black people in finance in general and at Wells Fargo specifically. Before I got into that though, like I've done lately, I want to talk about or address some things that some current events. One of the first, I'm sure you all have heard about the nine-year-old who was pepper sprayed by police so i first became aware of this uh, earlier today and by today i do mean tuesday february 2nd i was scrolling on instagram and i saw a video of it well i saw like the the thumbnail of a video that had the the headline and i gasped when i saw it right and the video, you know, it automatically, I have autoplay set up, so it started playing automatically and I paused it and I didn't want to watch it, but that was not before the subtitles of the girl saying, I want my daddy popped up and I felt physically sick to my stomach. I really didn't have to read much more into the story. I didn't have to read more about the story. All I know is this is horrible. It doesn't make sense. It disgusts me. It angers me to no ends. I will read a couple, a few highlights of, not highlights, but some excerpts from the New York Times article on it. And I'll just read the title and subtitle. Rochester officers suspended after pepper spraying of nine-year-old girl. The incident, captured on body camera footage, renewed scrutiny of a department whose officers had placed a hood on Daniel Prude, a black man, before he died from suffocation. Hmm. Makes me wonder, like, how many black people have to be brutalized before change is is made the next excerpt later on it says at one point an officer said you're acting like a child she the girl responded i am a child and when she refused to sit inside a police car an officer pepper sprayed her Rochester's Mayor Lovely Warren announced on Monday that the officers involved in the spraying would be suspended until the conclusion of an internal investigation, saying that state laws and union rules prevented her from taking more serious action. Michael Mazzeo, president of the union representing Rochester 
police officers defended the officers' actions and said they were confronted with a difficult situation. Those officers in those scenes, they broke no policy, Mr. Mazeo said at a news conference on Sunday. There's nothing that anyone can say they did <laughs> that's inappropriate. Wow. So I'm really upset about this. I'm so upset that I'm really finding it difficult to speak right now. I, however, can still read. So I'm just going to read this person's caption who posted this article. It said, there is no way to argue against defund the police after this. You can't make it make sense. Now, you may agree or disagree with this point, but I think what he says later on has a lot of truth to it. You can't make it make sense, and you really can't make this make sense. Whether you agree with defund your, the police or not, you cannot make pepper spraying a nine-year-old make sense. A mayor can't fire her employees who cuffed and pepper sprayed a nine-year-old girl because the laws protect them and their union won't let her. I think that's how you know a system is broken, when someone breaks the law, but you can't hold that person accountable. Continue on with this caption. Police unions are unlike any other unions. They hold way too much power. And then they quote the statement, one of the statements made by the representative of the Rochester Police Union. They broke no policy, end quote. Rochester police cuffed and pepper sprayed a nine-year-old black girl in the police Representative Michael Mazeo says they broke no policy. Michael Mazeo is making the argument for defund the police. Thanks, Mike. So like I said, regardless of whether or not you're for defunding the police, you have to say that like this guy, he is definitely making the argument for fundamental reformation of policing in this country if you can pepper spray a nine if you can handcuff and pepper spray a nine-year-old girl without breaking any policy without being in breach of any standard of operation then there's a huge huge issue there and like i said i'm really really mad i'm very very i'm like sick to my stomach just thinking of this but one thing that i was thinking about i was talking about this with my wife earlier i was like you know what's our like I was thinking about like if I was witnessing somebody, whether it was a child or not, being brutalized by the police. And I'm thinking like, what is our position or what is our responsibility as believers in those situations? Is it just to stand by and videotape while this little girl gets traumatized or worse, as someone loses their life? To stand by and bear witness as an image bearer is choked to death or shot to death. And so it's got me thinking, like, should do we intervene? Do we just record and bear witness and do our best to make sure that justice uh, is accomplished or is brought forth? And that's got me thinking about, because we were just talking about justice and mercy and um, a missional community group with my church just now before recording this. And it's got me th thinking about, you know, the legal definition of justice and the biblical definition of justice. And I, I, I don't have an answer. It's just what I'm thinking of right now. If you have thoughts, you know, please feel free to share them with me. You can DM me, send me a message. 
on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Just tell me what your thought, what you think about this, what our responsibility is as believers. I'll really be interested to hear what you think. I mean, I know I have an idea of what I think I would do, but it, 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 it changes at any given moment. But I wonder what our what people would think our responsibility is as believers in these in these situations because I I don't think I would stand by while a child was being traumatized by the police um, I would hope that I would not stand by if I saw an adult or an older person in the same situation but regardless of what I think I might do I just just wondering, like, what, what, what is our responsibility? Um, and, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that because, like I said, it's making me very upset. And, like, I like legit, you know, I feel actually sick just thinking about this poor girl, especially because I'm just, like, when I saw that caption, it says, where I want my daddy. Like, I just heard my daughter Eliana saying that because she says it often. And I can see, you know, kids, the kids act out. Kids don't want to sit down half the time kids don't want to read kids don't want to do their work and so why would they want to get in a police car i just i just see this complete and total lack of compassion and lack of humanity not on the part of they just i feel like police and other people who brutalize people of color see when they look at black people, they don't see humanity. They don't see someone who's worth kindness, who's worth empathy. They can't see themselves in us. They can relate more closely and more easily with animals than they can with us. So, yeah. Uh, it's a pretty somber way to start off an episode, but that's where I'm at. Uh, with that, I did want to speak on it just because I know it's top of mind right now. And I want to make people aware of stuff like this. Like you, if you just Google nine-year-old pepper spray, you'll you'll find you'll find the article if you don't believe me. I hope you are as shocked. Um, I hope you don't watch the video. Um, and, I hope, and I also hope like um, my my man, uh, Pastor Michael Brickhouse, who was on a couple uh, a few episodes ago, I'm on the episode rejecting viral images of black death. You should check that one out. Like we shouldn't need video evidence to be able to empathize or one to, we shouldn't need video evidence to believe people when they say they're brutalized or they've experienced some sort of injustice. Um, and we shouldn't get used to seeing it. Like if these images are really disturbing, then we shouldn't watch it. And it really is disturbing. And after when I really gave it some thought, I could really tell that I was being negatively infect, affected by all of the images, all the videos that I've seen of black people being murdered and brutalized by the police. So check out the story. And share it with those share with your on your platforms whatever platforms you have available all right moving on so on a lighter note i'm going to share with you all the audio of a video that uh, my friend adriana sent to me and she's actually she sent me videos before on uh, instagram 
and I usually just react to them. I often, sometimes I think like, does she does she like suggesting that I cover this on the show? And whether she was or isn't, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna include this on the show. And like I said, it is a lighter note. I did find the video. It's it's. I laughed when I watched it. You'll probably laugh listening to it. But it's the audio of a woman arguing with a police officer who is trying to take her out of a looks like a restaurant and from the looks of things it looks like he's taking her out because she's not wearing a mask and yeah you'll hear what she how she protests it's about three minutes three four minutes long you'll hear what she says her some of her rebukes of the officer and those are going to be some of the things that i that i will hit on afterwards uh i hope you enjoy and if there's any language i do apologize for that your hands off of me you are kidnapping me i will person what is your name Take your hands off of me. You you don't have the right, sir. Get your hands off me. I've done nothing wrong. I am not a criminal. Get your hands off of me. Get your hands off of me. Ma'am. That's a violation. Take your hand off of me. Sir, you need to read the Constitution. You need to read the Constitution. Get your hands off of me. You don't have the right to do this. You take a depiction of this is so illegal. You Sidewalk. They didn't even say I was under arrest. They have no right to arrest me. Let go of me. Let 
No! Come get my purse! No! Don't touch my purse! Don't touch my purse! Come get my purse, sweetheart! I'm scared to hurt me! In the name of Jesus! In the name of Jesus! I come against these principalities and powers, this lie, this abuse! This abuse! Honey, come get my purse! <laughs> Alright, so really I just wanted y'all to hear that last part. But in all seriousness, like I said before I played this, I did laugh. Well, I chuckled, kind of like I did just now when I first watched this. I don't like seeing people in pain, but it was just, I mean, watching how over the top this woman was reacting to um, the police taking her out of um, or trying to take her out of the restaurant was rather humor. I found it rather humorous, but I'm going to address a few things that, that she said. One, the first, one of the first things she said to the officer, who was a black man, by the way, said, you don't have the right to take her out of the restaurant or to put his hands on her. And he saw what he was doing. And you, I'm going to post this to the Save the Book page and to my personal page if you want to see the video. But he was holding her arm. Her, her wrist and trying to get her to get up she was like you don't have the right to take me and actually ma'am yes he does as a police officer if you he asks you to move gives you a lawful order he can remove you and then he she accused him of kidnapping her he was like no he's not kidnapping you he's arresting you the next thing is, which is obvious is like you know black people Black people have been killed. Black people, we, we know we will get shot for way less than this. And it's just mind boggling. Like this whole time, like I feel, and I, what's also was upsetting about that is just like, I know like, I bet that lady and anybody like her who's on her side rooting for her, they would do the same thing to the police. But then if a black person was in a similar situation and was gunned down, they would talk about how blue lives matter and talk about the hard blue line and how we've got to respect and our and honor our men and women in uniform. And that's only when the dignity of black lives is in question. So, uh, and I think it also goes to show them about how like a, a deeper truth in that I think what this woman may understand whether she or is at least conveying whether she realizes it or not is that white people don't really believe that the police are here to protect law and order. They're here to suppress control and when necessary, brutalize people of color. And so that is why she is like, what are you doing? You don't have a right to put your hands on me. And I'm sure she would probably think differently if their hands were on somebody else, on someone of color or on anybody that, that, she, that she viewed as other. Last thing I want to say about this video is that she referenced the First Amendment a lot. And I am by no means an expert on the Constitution, nor its, um, its amendments, but I just, you know, did a quick Google search and I came across this Article, it says seven things you need to know about the First Amendment. So I'm going to read some of them. Well, I'm going to read all of them to you. Number one, the five freedoms it protects. Uh, 
speech, religion, press, assembly, and the right to petition the government. Together, these five guaranteed freedoms make the people of the United States of America the freest in the world. Number two, before agreeing to accept the Constitution, the the founders of our Democratic Republic demanded that these freedoms be protected by an amendment to the original document, the First Amendment. Three, there's no quote-unquote legal age you have you have to reach to exercise your First Amendment freedoms. They are guaranteed to you the day you're born. There's also no citizenship requirement for First Amendment protection. If you're in the U.S., you have freedom of speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition. Number four, the First Amendment is neither left-wing or right-wing. It can be used to push for social and political change or to oppose change. The First Amendment is for everyone. Number five, the First Amendment protects us against government limits on our freedom of expression, but it doesn't prevent a private employer from setting its own rules. And I think that is where this lady is most confused. She keeps talking about the First Amendment where she has her rights. Like I said, the First Amendment has her right to speech, religion, press, assembly, which is uh, like to protest, and I, I think uh, yeah, and the and the right to petition the government. And she's saying I I think she's conflating like assembly with just being wherever she wants in whatever state she wants to be in. So like being in this restaurant without her, being in this privately owned restaurant without a mask, which is not what the First Amendment protects, because clearly it says it doesn't prevent a private employer from setting its own rules. And if that employer or if that a business or agency has a rule mandating masks, then they have the right to ask you to demand that you leave and request uh, the assistance of law enforcement should you not. And number six, the First Amendment prevents government from requiring you to say something you don't want to or keep you from hearing or reading the words of others. Seven, students have the right to pray in America's public schools as long as there is no disruption to school operations and no government employees like teachers or coaches are involved. But I think that that fifth point that explains that it doesn't apply to uh, private entities setting their own rules is really where is, is this, this is there's the rub right there. Finally, in that video, she invoked the name of Jesus to fight against the wickedness and principalities in high places. I'm assuming she was referring to police and and government. But what I don't think she realizes is that some of the wickedness, a lot of the, the I think whiteness, Okay, whiteness is a high place in America, in American culture, in American society. And I believe that that is definitely a place of wickedness that she was operating in. This place of of entitlement, of of exceptionalism, of being exempt from the rules those are all things that come along with with whiteness and with 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 American whiteness in in particular are you praying for the country saints
I know I need to pray, pray more. But with that, I'm going to get into my afterthoughts for on my conversation with with Shannon on our DEI breakdown using the comments from Wells Fargo CEO as you know somewhat of a case study. So as usual, I'm just going to go through various points that either I made or Shannon made and break them down a little bit more or just go into a little more depth with them. Okay, so at one point I make the comment that and well in reference to the inauguration of President Biden, I make the point that, you know, although people are excited, I know it's 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 you have all the right to be relieved <laughs> if you were as stressed out or as troubled as I was by the last administration. But I don't think people should just assume that we can be okay and just assume that all the change that needs to be made throughout the country, um, economically, with healthcare, uh, racial equity, you shouldn't assume that that's going to happen because historically, like I, I said, that change doesn't just happen just from electing the right person at the top. But I, so that begs the question, so how does it happen? Where does that change come from? And that's through collective power and action, grassroots organizing, when the people get together and concentrate their power and push the people who are in government or who have uh, political influence, you know, legislators and even presidents to change. That's when the change, real change that actually transforms society and advances equity in, you know, a really sweeping legislation usually was not just at the whim of who was ever whoever was running the show at the point you know like in 1964 president johnson wasn't just like you know what it's tuesday why don't we just give some people some civil rights today and in 1965 nobody just woke up and was like you know what why don't we just give people the right to vote man you know it's it's, it's about time no it was because of the civil rights movement which was a grassroots organization which was a grassroots movement like i said of people coming together and using their collective power to bring about the change that they wanted. And I, I, I believe that that is still the case now, particularly with racial equity, because although President Biden shouted out black people and acknowledged how we got him into the office, into, into the White House the first time and this time, uh, I mean, I, I get that COVID is the main priority right now but he hasn't really said much or i don't i don't know what he's going about to do for to advance racial equity and if he's not pushed if he's not held accountable um and for that matter if your local officials aren't held accountable they're not going to do anything either all right so i want to make that clear because i said okay change doesn't come from these people so i want to make sure i acknowledge where does it come from it's like you have power you as an individual you as a citizen of your of this nation of your state of your city of your community even of your neighborhood you have power and i think it's important like that we seek out ways to use our power and influence for the good of others i believe that's our responsibility as believers
So now I'm going to go and share with you all some comments that my wife actually said to me when she was, we were listening to the episode together. And I, I'm kind of chuckling now because Monique, she she listens to my podcast. But a lot of times I, I've asked her to be on the podcast before. And she's like, nah, man, I, I this is you. You like to talk about this stuff. But every time we listen to the podcast or she's listening to the podcast, she should be dropping these gems. And so she was, I was trying to like type notes as she was was speaking. And this is one thing that she said. She said, one thing you have to think about when you don't see everyone represented in the room, like people of different races specifically in the room or at your company, like you need to look at the rubric, your rubric for your hiring rubric. Like how are these people being measured? What are they being asked? And she said that all of these things, usually the metrics used to determine someone's fit or at a, at a particular company, all of these measures are Eurocentric. Everyone and everyone has a select answer in their mind of what the appropriate answer is is gonna be. And you don't quote unquote even the playing field just by offering someone an interview because our entire conceptualization of professionalism and of what a professionals look like is Eurocentric and is you know racist. And another thing that her saying that brought up is like, you know, racism does not require intention. So like you could have all the intentions to be, you can intend to be as inclusive as you want to and still in your hiring policies exacerbate or propagate racism. And this is the last gem my wife noted. She was talking about how this well, this conversation made her think of how, you know, a lot of times uh, historically black colleges and universities get a bad rap for being too lenient on students, on, on, on black students, because they don't have they're not as rigorous. Uh, you don't have to have the same grades or GPA or test scores to get into them that you have to get into a lot of what people will call more prestigious, historically white colleges and universities. And she said this, that I never thought of. She said, maybe HBCUs actually have a more holistic and realistic view of, of, of students as, as human beings, not just, they're not just numbers. They're not just their performance in the, they're not just their past even their past academic performance, but they're human beings who have worth and who are worth pouring into, who are worth educating. I thought that was really powerful and I'm glad I, I thought to take notes while she was while she was saying that. So, thanks babe. <laughs> Next, Shannon, I think he said it perfectly when I asked him, I was like, what do you think? And he said, it's a mess. Like, because this is a huge, huge mess. And it's not a mess that's easy to clean up. I think uh, when you start trying to advance equity in any social sphere, whether it's economic with with hiring or whatever, a lot of times, like, you know, when you're cleaning out your house and you're cleaning your room and maybe you are trying to, your your goal is to organize your, your drawers, wherever you keep your clothes, right? Because if you're like me, you don't often fold them. And so you take your clothes out so you can, you know, refold them, put them back in. Well, as you take them out, 
you know, you usually in, in, in that process, when you're between taking them out and refolding them and putting them back in, you are, you're, you're, if you were to stop right then, you'd have a bigger mess than when you started because at least all the clothes were in the drawer. But that doesn't mean that they were okay because they were still a mess. Things were still out of order. Things were not optimal. They, there was definitely room for improvement. I don't think we should stop there. I don't think we should, because I think that so much stuff has gone uncovered and people have just been okay with the status quo to the point that not only were things pushed under the rug, but then entire networks, entire systems were built out of view. Like the like the the, the image of the ice the 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 ninety percent of the iceberg under the water. Uh, we see that like we lift the iceberg out of the water, and we see the huge problem that we have. Um, so Shannon was right. It is indeed a mess. Um, I just now I talked about our how our entire conceptualization of what professionalism is is eurocentric and whitewashed and like a lot of times like if you think about how just even how what's considered appropriate professionally appropriate way to dress professionally appropriate way way to wear your hair and to talk usually is in line with how white people already talk and already carry themselves. And why? Why do you think that is? Well, because black people historically were not allowed in those professions. So by the time black people were allowed, the standard of professionalism was based off of majority culture, white American culture. And it's not objective. You can't just say, oh, well, this is not professional. It's like, well, why isn't it professional? All right. Like one of my, my favorite question is why? Ask yourself why if you say this is not professional if you're saying well like if there aren't enough black people in a particular field then you got to ask yourself why and then you got to give the the actual answer which the ceo of wells fargo did not um one other point I, well so shannon he was talking about how two things can be true at the same time how uh, he was saying that that well, what he meant by that is that, you know, yeah, maybe there are a lot of black people applying to Wells Fargo, but maybe there's a reason there's a, there's could be a reason for that. Like, yeah, maybe they're not applying, but maybe it's because they're aware of your racist practices. And I would maybe add on to that. I was like, maybe perhaps three things can be wrong or can be true at the same time. You're racist and shady. And one, you're racist. Two, you're shady. And three, black folks don't want to work with you. In all those cases, though, the onus is on that employer or an employer's in general to improve. Because why? Like, if you've shown yourself to be racist, well, Wells Fargo has been around for a good minute, y'all. So why? Why would I, if I know you're racist, why would I apply if you have racist policies? If you use, like Shannon highlighted, if you used black and brown people to advance, you know, your portfolio in ways that harmed their financial well-being, like lowered their credit scores and made it difficult for them to get, you know, uh, obtain credit and do whatever they needed to do with their own money. Like, why would I want to work for you if that's common knowledge? And so that that's you got to take that into account. Like what what reasons might black people or people of color 
have for not wanting to work here? Do we really have a welcoming environment other than posting this job? What about us makes us want people of color, make, makes people of color want to, to work with us? Uh, second to last thing, uh, not a good fit. That quote that or that's that phrase that Shannon was talking about. So not a good fit. I feel like that's the number one race neutral reason for not hiring people of color. Said another way, not a good fit is the number one race neutral explanation for racist hiring practices. Like, why is it that people of color so seldom, quote unquote, fit into your organization? You have to ask your question that again. Why? Ask yourself why. Could it be that your that your organization is designed for them to fail or at least at least the minimum is designed for one particular one specific group to feel comfortable and valued and affirmed while others are not and clearly i'm talking about white people could it be that your organization is designed and has been framed around uplifting and affirming uplifting white people affirming their cultures affirming their value affirming their worth at the expense of of others and now if you started off as a white company then yeah that's probably it can be incidental i don't think people nowadays are saying you know what we're going to create uh an all white or a white supremacist company culture i don't think anybody's doing that but it still happens and when it happens and someone brings it up to you i think the proper way to respond to that is to admit that you have to understand that to go with the flow in America is to go with racism. And if you're not consciously fighting against racism, if you're not consciously being anti-racist, then you are either racist or allowing racism to, to propagate, to flourish, to continue uninhibited. You have to be conscious of that. And by you, I'm talking to employers. So yeah, that's it for this episode or for this edition of Saved and Woke Afterthoughts. I do apologize. The link that I promised y'all, the link to the article on um, are Emily and Greg more employable than uh, Jamal? And I forget the, the black woman's name. But this is included in this uh, in, in the description for these afterthoughts. And I'm going to go. I'm going to retroactively add them to the original episode as well uh, next episode so next week will be the season finale of season five like i said this is the longest season of the same and woke podcast time wise anyway because it started in 2020 like one of the first episodes was what i'm struggling with in 2020 i might make that a yearly thing by the by but yeah the season finale of season five is next week it's going to be an extra long episodes with chock full of of extra goodness i've actually assembled a crack team of people to help me assemble this episode so it's not just me i'm really excited i'm really looking forward to it so definitely come back next wednesday for the season finale of the saved and woke podcast and until then y'all know what to do keep the faith and stay woke Mm -hmm.